Welcome to the Travel Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone, and happy Travel Tuesday from Portugal. That's right, we're on location for this week's episode, which we love doing. We love getting out there and traveling the world and telling you all about it. So we've got a great show for you today, talking big news around the world to travel as well. And joining me on the show now is John Kirk, president and editor-in-chief for Travel Pulse Canada, the man of a thousand voices, always dropping the accents there. Welcome to the show, John. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm going to do my best, Eric, today to not say the word A that I'm not going to be criticized for or, or say out or and about because I'm, I'm, I hear, I don't, I don't feel like I say that, but anyways, uh, no, thanks for having me on, on your prestigious uh, podcast. Living in, based in Toronto, uh, have headed up Travel Pulse Canada business since we Found it and launched it in fall of 2016. You know we've we've made great inroads up the, up in, in Canada and have had a, a lot of fun doing it all the way along. Um, it, it, for me, that this side of the, the the media side of the space for the in, particularly in the trade space is is a lot of fun. And I've I've spent the bulk of my adult career was in the travel and tourism space with many years working in the uh, aviation uh, side of the of the industry. Um, was a was a buyer uh, for a tour operator for many many years, and then I think which which helps me the most in the, my current role, I was the head of uh, Thomas Cook um, Retail Distribution in Canada, and had a had a P and L responsibility about a four hundred and four hundred fifty million dollar P and L, hmm. so uh, and indirectly through the different org charts had three hundred and fifty uh, travel advisors reporting. Right, right up into us, so into me. So I, I take things and then I look at things through a different lens in the media space than uh, I think a lot of our competitors do, and uh, uh, largely because of my knowledge base on on the retail sellers. You know, um, I actually have made bookings, <laughs> you know, for as as a travel advisor. I actually have my license to be a, a travel uh, advisor, license to be a travel agency manager. So I, I really look at it from a different. Uh, Different perspective and different lens, and I think that uh, that really show, sh- shows and is, is showcased in the way that we create our content and our news for our for our, uh, readers and viewers in Canada. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's fun. You know, yeah. keeps keeps me keeps, <laughs> keeps you busy. You're staying, yeah. You're Mr. World Traveler over there, yeah. Tahiti, and now we are doing this from from Portugal. I love when we can do on location. I know, you know talks I know. And, and everything. We did a round of interviews this morning and stuff. So John and I are going to share some thoughts on Portugal a little bit. We are here for the Travel Trade Marketplace. Uh, we haven't had a chance to see too much of Portugal because we want to see we want to see more. But the people have been great, and so later you'll hear interviews from me with the president and CEO of Visit Portugal and Secretary of State as well of uh, Portugal's tourism. But first. Before we get into that, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening to the show, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with some air travel news over, big one over the weekend, the Spirit uh, Airlines JetBlue merger could be a no-go. We're going to see how this plays out. Um, Last week, Spirit CEO Edward Christie said during an investor call, we are now waiting to see whether the Department of Justice filed suit to block the deal or allow us to proceed. And in quote, he said uh, they expect a decision in the next 30 days or so. And then you jump to a few days later, we've got uh, five sources with knowledge told the matter of Politico uh, website there that they, the proposed $3.8 billion merger for Spirit Airlines and JetBlue appears to be in jeopardy as the U.S. Department of Justice is likely to file suit against the move. So we'll see if that actually happens. The, the deal, though, is further complicated because of an ongoing lawsuit against JetBlue's Northeast Alliance deal with American Airlines. 
Nonetheless, JetBlue states that the merger would benefit travelers, creating a long overdue national low fare challenger to the big, air, big four airlines in America, American, Delta, United, and Southwest. So the saga continues with this whole merger fiasco started with Frontier, you know, jumping in, and then JetBlue, you know, and Spirit's like, let's get it done, I'm sure. So will it get done? Time will tell. We'll see if this next 30 days or so is, is accurate because if you look back to how things were when all this began and they, before anything was finalized or signed, before they decided to go with um, JetBlue, you, you had like just continued and continued pushback. So I don't know if I buy this next 30 days or so, but we'll, we'll see. John, what are your thoughts on this? ordeal well i don't i don't know how much of a canadian uh, canadian point of view on this is no is, just in general you know, just in general travel well, i mean yeah. I, at, at the end of the day you know we, we, i've seen over my career multiple mergers and multiple uh, acquisitions and takeovers and however you know you want to phrase the uh, phrase the deal and the structure of the deal and in my own my own view it, i think it would probably be uh, would be a good thing for uh, for consumers to provide that national LCC or ULCC model that uh, low-cost carrier. Also, sorry, I use acronyms that are very trade-specific, but <laughs> but um, I think it probably would be a good thing. And you know, quite frankly, the the amount of um, the amount of money that will have gone into uh, from an investment perspective um, into going through this merger, the this the legal cost, the yeah. the research, the amount of time, everything that's gone into this. I, I would find it very highly unlikely that it would end up getting uh, that it would end up getting squashed. You know, yeah, we've um, come this far. I feel like you got to get done. And I, I agree. I think that it would make a good challenge, but I, I see where the the complications of because some people um, just do, do not want the JetBlue and American Airlines alliance to to be done. So, yeah, well, that's probably the the key. That could very well be the key driver. I would I would think, but you know. The other part that you that you'd have to consider in this is the average shareholder. You know, there's thousands and thousands of retail investors that are invested in both these airlines publicly, and they're, you know, they have to be they have to be factored into the equation too because all of them are planning on some kind of huge upside if something happens here, right? You know, and um, I, I think if you combine that and the optics of 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 that from the population base that are retailer investors that have invested in both the airlines or, or one or the other. Um, the political optics of that, of it not getting put through because of, you know, what could be deemed as a politicizing of it some form or another, it wouldn't be good for, for any administration. I, I wouldn't think, but right, uh, yeah. I think it's, I think it's probably good for, you know, as a Canadian, you, you American guys down there, you're, <laughs> it's capitalist. It's a capitalist market, right? It's Indeed, a free, yeah. free market. And uh, I mean, how often do you look back? We, at one of my former businesses, we had a, um, uh, you know, the anniversary events for employees. And it was like a 20-year employee, 25, 30-year employee. And I was bringing up a 30-year employee. And one of my, what I did for them is I started rhyming off all of the airlines that had gone bankrupt or closed or, or, or brands had gone away over the 30 <laughs> years. And it was incredible because I started like Canada 3000, Eastern Airlines, Pan Am, War, and it just went on and on and on. And the crowd was like, my God. I can't I, like they literally forgot about these brands. So um, you know, customer service wins, frequency wins, OTP on time performance wins, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's what's going to be the driving force uh, of wh however it ends up looking. Like you're going to make or break on your on your service levels and your your efficiency. So yeah, and spirit and service. We uh, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on that. So podcast at 
travelpulse.com. You can let me know your thoughts on this potential merger. Love to get your thoughts uh, on that. And you can also drop a line on our hotline too. 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. Moving along over to destination news now. Amsterdam made some big headlines this past week with Amsterdam going to do some big changes potentially here to the red light district. Uh, If it's all approved, it would be starting in May. They're set to enact new measures that would ban smoking marijuana on the street and further restrict alcohol sales in the red light district. The city would also require sex workers in the neighborhood shut down their trade by 3 a.m. And the municipality of Amsterdam said in a statement, quote, residents of the old city center experience a lot of nuisance from mass tourism and alcohol and drug abuse on the street, end quote. So they are trying to make some changes there for their residents. John, you've been to Amsterdam, I'm sure. So your, your thoughts on this news? Uh, well, first, first of all, I want to say to the people of Amsterdam that this might very well be a good thing. No, I'll, I'll pull back in my Dutch accent. You know, I, I think it's ironic that one of the first places, you know, that I'm that I'm aware of that legalized, uh, or it never was actually legal. It's not, full, but, it's not fully, yeah. yeah it's but, just but tolerated, yeah. Obviously, very tolerated. You can, any restaurant, buy it on a bar, the Bulldog Lounge, and all the different places, and Bulldog Bar. And now the world has gone the opposite direction of that, where in, in Canada and in Ontario, for sure, we've got dispensaries, we've got retail shops, you can have edibles, mm-hmm. you can buy whatever you want. And, uh, you know, it, Actually, just just uh, two days ago, I was was a guy on on Young Street in Toronto, right beside my car, smoking a smoking a doobie, a joint, and or whatever you call them now, and and uh, <laughs> uh, split. What is it? Anyways, yeah. yeah, and and it was just the stink was just brutal. Like it was coming, it was literally coming in the car. It was winter, so the air yeah. fans are still going. And my wife said, like, how is this nuts? Where you can't you can't have an open beer on the street in Toronto, but. You, you can stand the joint, there yeah. smoking this huge uh, spliff. And so it's funny for me to read this and learn this when Amsterdam was the origin of, right. yeah. of this. And now they're, they're going doing a reversal, and you can do it in somewhere like Toronto, which was ultra-conservative for that stuff for so many years. And uh, the, the Red Lake District, I'm, you know, good luck. Like, what, three, oh, my God, they're closing at 3 a.m. now. And I, like, what was closing time? I don't think it's even going to make a difference. It, like if you're going to shut something down because it's disruptive to the neighborhood and to the community, I don't think 3 a.m. is going to. It's not yeah, the wise. Yeah, it's still going to get loud and still going to get rowdy. Yeah, then. I mean, what a what what a random number to let's close at 3 a.m. If you're going to do that for people's sanity, you should be closing at midnight or one. Like, you know, 3 a.m. seems like a an odd. Uh, I think it's just the idea of adding a closing time to that aspect instead of it being, I guess, 24 seven or yeah, on that. Well, but even yeah, I guess if you had. I mean, kind of come standard with a, if you're going to party spot, I mean, think of a lot of your big cities and where they party. A lot of the bars stay open until two, three, four. Yeah. So you, you shut that down there and yeah, restrict alcohol sales at shops at 4 p.m. is what they said. But bars are obviously open until later. But if you want to just go in a random Str- uh, 4 p.m.? For like regular shots, but rest- shops, I should say, restaurants and bars can still serve. So like corner um, lepineurs, little shops and stuff like that, you're going to. That's the proposals. That's I don't know that. That's going to happen. No, but I, yeah, if you ask I me between JetBlue and Spirit versus that. closing down liquor sales in Amsterdam at four p.m. in corner shops, I'd say yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's I don't. I mean, good luck to them, and it's nice that they're. I mean, I haven't been to Amsterdam probably about eight years, but I've been there many, many times. I love it. I love love the city. I love the Dutch people, and um, but I, I can't see them getting that through. Um, I can't see them getting. Oh, a lot yeah, of I think through. that they'll. they'll They'll ban the, the smoking. I think that that will for sure happen. That's going to 
launch in May if they it all passes and everything. And I understand that you want to try to limit it to a bit, but you know the the red light district is known for the craziness. That's where people want to go to party. That's what draws some people to Amsterdam. So you can't ignore that fact as a, as a tourism board there and everything. But yeah, try to curb it a little bit. You see a lot of interesting comments too on 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 social media when this story came out of you know well they should just move residents should just move or blah 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 and all this and it's like ah, well, it's, well you know it's up to them but yeah. i don't know how it's gotten any worse than it was i mean it shouldn't i'm not i don't like i said i haven't been there in a while but i can't imagine it's gotten because it was pretty crazy yeah i've been twice in the last six years and i mean it's yeah it's still a party town you know it's, yeah. it's what it is so it's i think it's just gonna stay like that i don't think you can ever really change that and and this you know i guess pushing people to stop smoking on the street and just smoke in the you know the shops in the, in the coffee shops then sure it doesn't stink as much as you walk down the streets but i mean you're still going to have people getting super hammered people yeah. are going to throw up on the street just like they do in any other city that has yeah. big partying so yeah. you know you're going to have some nuisance there if you're a resident of that's really your issue of Dang, dang these tourists and everything. I can't do a Dutch accent like you. That's actually the first time I've heard you do a Dutch accent. So it's Dutch good. is really, it's a very <laughs> difficult one to do. You have to, it's almost like a blend of, this is how I learned how to do a South African accent because it's blend of Australian for me and, and uh, Dutch. So, and you'll have to lots of, anyways, I think that you should uh, move on. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> from, yeah. From, but from yes, dad. in other destination news, just general tourism continues to rebound. International visitors to the United States spent $16.5 billion in December, a figure that represents the highest level of spending since the COVID-19 pandemic emerged back in 2020. So the December spending data is part of a broader report that was just released by the U.S. National Travel and Tourism Office. The record receipts for the final month of 2022 represent a 49% increase over December 21. And the same report reveals that for all of 2022, international visitors spent about $162 billion on U.S. travel and tourism related expenses, which has nearly doubled the amount for 21. And international visitors spent around 445 million per day last year. So, John, you know, improvements continue around the industry. We'd love to see it. We'd love to get your scoop on, you know, Canada aspect as well, and globally, your thoughts on tourism today. You know, I was flipping through my phone here with you earlier, trying to find a, a photo, and um, I was reminded of everywhere I've been since November, and it, it it's it's. It's insane. I was in uh, I was in Fort Lauderdale for Cruise World and our um, our Travis uh, mm -hmm. show as well. Um, I came back from there. I was on the inaugural of the uh, Wonder, the naming ceremonies on the the Wonder of the Seas out of uh, Port Canaveral. Came back from there. I was in Jamaica. Um, JTB. And then I was in um, Puerto Vallarta for for five days. Um, came back from that, and actually it was. Port of Vallarta, then Jamaica. Came back to Jamaica December 18th. Jamaica, then went to Port of Vallarta for vacation because I, over the holidays, because I, I actually became a, a big fan of Port of Vallarta, just the food and the people yeah. and everything. Anyways, nevertheless, came back from that, and then um, uh, it's just been a whirlwind ever since. I was in Tahiti, Bora Bora, Morea, uh, a week or so ago for, for a bit, and then over here today in in Portugal and then back home enough to Quebec City uh, when I get back home and to, to Toronto. And the only reason I say that is because it's given me, you know, Great a huge perspective internationally on how tourism is, uh, how it's doing and how it's rebounding. And I, and I you know, it is a potentially long conversation I, and I'm not, I, I am known to be a little long-winded from time <laughs> to time, you see. 
but that the just from a from a cultural and from more of a moral point of view traveling is different obviously it's different now yeah. and the thing that i've found in all of these destinations that i've traveled to uh over the last th two three months is that there's a whole different vibe in um how service providers are greeting international tourists and, and customers into their you know into their countries their, their, their level of service, their smile on their face, the way that they're, you know, enticing you to try something different on a menu or try that. Like, there's a whole different, really cool vibe that I'm finding in all these different places that I've traveled to around the world. And, you know, I think that what, what that does is just from a human perspective, it makes us really appreciate each other more, how, how we've, we've missed each other. You know, and uh, so I, I think that's a really, and I do actually think that's a whole topic of of discussion. You know, and I, um, particularly when I was in uh, in Morea uh, a week or so ago, the people there, the great pride that we were on a pontoon, like a, a traditional Tahitian pontoon boat sailing thing, and the guy who was the captain with great pride brought out all the fruits that he had brought it was in it from his own backyard and you know, he starts explaining it to us the passion fruit i traded i got too many mangoes so i traded for the with my neighbor for the avocados and you know there's this whole thing that in in same with puerto vallarta we went hiking and did some really unique things there as well um and actually my travel habits have changed as a result of covid too because i would generally because i work a lot and you know want to go to a place and want to relax and put my feet up and have a drink or whatever and just chill. Now I feel like I want to do a lot more when I go to a destination because I feel like I need to. Yeah. I need to, yourself more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a really strange phenomenon that I personally didn't think I would ever get to because I was, you know, I just love traveler mindsets changing for sure. Yeah. So it's a pretty, it's a very cool way of, uh, of if you take a step back and if you've been to the amount of destinations I have, I, I started to think about it and that's kind of the thing that really, the human side of travel has yeah, changed and how, and how you interact. But then from a, from a pure business perspective, from an economics perspective, you know, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's incredible. The, uh, the volume that's starting to come through. Um, and in some cases there, you know, in, um, sustainability, I think is now, with, with all due respect to all of the, you know, the, our trade, which all spoke about sustainability, sustainability, sustainability do, yes. for, for, for years and years, right? But now it's a reality. Like it is a real, it's a real thing. People are, are taking themselves to task on it. And, yeah. you know, as a, to see more action instead of just talking. Well, and some of the things are remarkable. There's this uh, SWAC, the saltwater air conditioning, at this property uh, in um, Bora Bora, the intercontinental Bora Bora. And a full shout out to them because no other hotelier has implemented this uh, technology. So it's geothermal. We in Canada we use geothermal to, uh, heating. So you drill down three thousand meters, four thousand meters, and you generate heat from the core for the Earth's surface. You can heat your homes, and it's a it's a it's a real thing. So they have this technology that they got out of Hawaii, and they drill down three thousand meters into the seabed, and they pump up uh, four degree. Um, 40 degree Fahrenheit seawater and this seawater uh, comes up and runs through the entire resort and provides 
all of the air conditioning for the entire resort. Amazing. All the overwater bungalows, all the public areas, everything is run by this air conditioning. And they've reduced, talk about carbon footprint, they've reduced their fuel consumption that they required to run the air conditioning there. It was 2.6 million uh, liters of gas to fuel the air conditioning annually. Completely eliminated, completely gone. And the beauty of it is they recycle that seawater. They use it in the spa. They use it for different treatments in the spa oh, and everything. And then it gets to 12 degrees, and then they dump the seawater back into the ocean, and away they go. Um, so when you see things like that in terms of sustainability, uh, it's, it's remarkable. So when you combine sustainability, you have this human side of travel coming again. You have the rebound, this level of respect. Um, you know, in again, when we met with the CEO on a, on a recent trip from a tourist board, they actually, as their commitment to uh, sustainability, they're putting a cap on the number of arrivals into their, into their market because they think that the number of arrivals into their market, if it exceeds this number of, um, I think it was 285,000, but if it exceeds 285,000, then it's going to have a negative impact on, on their environment. So they said, that's our cap. And for for you to hear a destination, yeah, say, say it, yeah, it's set a cap for sure. I mean, that's it's 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 unbelievable. So right. shows they care about uh, the green of the earth more so than the green and, of the and the residents yeah. and their residents. So sustainability, you know, the human side of travel and the way that we all interact and the actual economic impact of the rebound is phenomenal to see. And I and I'm across so many different destinations that I've traveled to. So. Yeah, it's certainly great. And as we jump into a little bit of Portugal talk here before we get to uh, the interviews coming up later on the broadcast here, just for, I mean, I know we've only been here about 48 hours now and we've been mostly the conference aspect of it. We're in Porto, Portugal here, but just first impressions, John, this is both, this is our first time in Portugal. And I think we both can, I can, I feel like I can speak for you here. We got to come back to Portugal, you know? Oh, for sure. And it, it, in in Toronto um, and in uh, Montreal, there is a, in huge Portuguese communities in in the in Toronto and Montreal, like incredible numbers of of Portuguese. So it's always been um, heavy ethnic travel and heavy VFR vacation friends or relatives is the space. Um, and again, after speaking with the the, the various um, um, dignitaries and, and tourism mm -hmm. execs that we've been speaking to the last couple of days. That seems to have be taking a shift as well, and the thing, the thing that I I, I love discovering maybe it's because I'm an I prefer to call an economically conscious Canadian as opposed to the other word. <laughs> uh, but when I come to a destination, I'm so it, for good and bad shocked. And when you come to Portugal, like you know, we had a, we had a great dinner the other night. And the bottle of wine that we had was yeah. a, like unbelievable bottle of wine and it was 26 bucks in a restaurant yeah you know yeah. 26 bucks for a fantastic bottle of wine uh, that honestly in toronto that bottle of wine would have probably been 120 bucks i'm not talking because yeah, of import export yeah. yeah yeah so you know and, and the quality of food is it's so fresh the wine is fantastic and again back to the people. The people, yeah. We, right? that's, like, been the, that's been the big takeaway for yeah. me here. Yeah, I mean, I know we were just at bounce between two hotels right now and yeah. uh, here in Porto. And um, uh, as part of the travel trade marketplace, a lot of the advisors here, advisors are going to go visit other areas of Portugal. And myself, I will be doing Lisbon. Other people are doing the Azores, Algarve, Madeira. So there's a lot to see in Portugal, a lot that it has to offer. But, you know, so far, it's been the people. So I'm excited to see the rest 
of uh, of that and how it pertains to, to Lisbon. Because our, our shout out to my the bartender here, Diogo, earlier. He's yeah. a big Porto fan, and he I asked about Lisbon, and he's like Porto all the way. So respect to that. So I'm gonna have to come back out and experience more of this for sure. Yeah, I mean, a great example of how accommodating, and it's not because we are at this particular hotel or, or the space that we're in either in, the, in, the, in terms of industry. But I mean, the other night, you know, somebody said, you know, the Super Bowl is on, so out of nowhere, big TV appears. They figured out a way to how to put it on the screen. Usually close that bar at 11. Yeah, and the game right? didn't even kick off till 11.30. Yeah, so and they, and they, they kept the bar open until till 3.30. So that sort of flexibility, and that and that's kind of what I was saying earlier, you know, like that the human side of things and trying to be accommodating because it's almost like, you know, you want to make new friends and you're welcome, welcoming people into your, into your house, it's your country, yeah. but you want to show them the best time you can so that they walk away and they have a real memorable experience of their time so they can go and tell their friends how, how great it was, right? So, yeah. so I, think, I think the food, the people for sure, uh, honestly, uh, the weather has kind of freaked me out because, you know, and this it's is February, normal. Yeah, and it's been, I think, 64 Fahrenheit. Um, 19 Celsius. Yeah, 18, 19 degrees yeah. Celsius, and gorgeous right here by the by the river. The sun is great. I, I really, you know, I've got to go back home for for personal reasons, but I'm like kicking myself that I didn't figure out some way to. Because I'm an yeah. avid golfer, I'm kicking myself I didn't figure out some way to. Oh, we'll be back, John. To, <laughs> we'll, be back. we'll be back, John. We got we got to golf. It's the first. Hour. Travel Pulse Canada versus U.S. Ryder Cup. Oh, yes, we will do some Events. sort of golf match across Europe because um, I love to lose golf balls for some reason. I'm just, that, <laughs> I'm just that good at golf, you guys. Yeah, and, and again, the Canadian, the Canadian economically conscious. I hate losing golf balls because they're too expensive. No, they are expensive. I mean, I, I, that's why I buy the cheap ones because I know I lose them. But you're actually a better golfer than I am. But that, that's like another conversation. We've never played. We've never played. But, uh, but I've, I've seen, I've seen you, and we, we were. At Cabo together and you dipped away to play golf and I was like how did I not get invited to that like mm. that's another conversation for another day that, that we've we've yeah. gone on here it's just bit, because so. of my friends there <laughs> John is in the know and he knows a lot of people so yeah. that is great thank you for your time jumping on the podcast here we're going to jump over to our interview segments now cool thanks very much for having me on we should do it again and uh have some good banter maybe next time do it yeah if you can see the view that we're looking at right now it's spectacular we're right by the river the sun's shining and it's 12.30, and actually lunch is going to get yeah. served soon, so it is a good segue oh, to, let's go eat, yeah. to go eat. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Eric Bowman here, executive editor for TravelPulse.com here in Porto, Portugal, with president and CEO of Visit Portugal, Luis Arrojo. Thank you so much for joining us and being here. Thank you so much for, for being here, for you being here. It's great to be here. I mean, Porto is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's a stunning, beautiful, gorgeous morning here. And we're here at the Travel Trade Marketplace. And just can you tell us a little bit about the logistics of this event and the importance of, of it returning now since the pandemic? Well, the logistics are uh, quite complicated, in fact, because we're bringing 120 people of the most important people that we treasure, which are our stakeholders, travel agents and tour operators from Canada and the United States. Um, it's an entire week of uh, immersion in the country. It starts here in Porto with some workshops uh, inside the classroom, as we always say. But then tomorrow and the next days, we will have some trips all across the country in different groups to experience what Portugal has the diversity how we've prepared ourselves for this uh, post-covid uh, era how we're prepared to welcome any guests uh, in the world and especially our canadians and american friends absolutely yeah and the best way for travel advisors to really get out and sell something is to be here and immerse themselves to experience it so just as we've emerged you know from the pandemic time here 
how has the recovery been for uh, for Portugal in, in tourism? And would you say has things changed since emerging back compared to how they were in 2019? Well, in fact, these two years we've been pretty much focused on recovery. Uh, we've spent two years, as we always say, keeping the engines working, because whenever the the go signal was was given, we would have to be at the front row um, to depart. I think we've done that successfully. Uh, we've supported our enterprises, we gave training to our uh, workers, uh, we've been promoting Portugal uh, across these two years and across the main markets. Uh, and 2022 has been a very positive year, in fact we've grown 15% compared with 2019. Um, our long-haul markets like America, the United States, 50%, 50%. Canada, Canada is still not in the numbers of 2019, but we are pretty sure that uh, the future will bring us a very positive result for uh, tourism from these countries. I think the most important is uh, people, and especially uh, the, the hospitality here, hotels, restaurants, local lodging, have been adjusting to the new needs of customers. Uh, so now you will find an offer that it's much more sustainable, much more safe, uh, concerned about your concerns. Um, and I think that's positive for anyone that comes to, to Portugal, apart from feeling the experience of being in a country with so many years of history, with a wonderful gastronomy, beautiful wines, uh, and very good cost for value also. There's a lot to learn and love about this destination for sure as these advisors here at the marketplace are immersing themselves in the classes and everything and getting out and experiencing different parts of the region here. But I, I'm curious too, um, is there like a target clientele for, for here? What's, are there more common types of travelers that come to Portugal uh, that you've seen so far and obviously are going to mm -hmm, expand mm -hmm. upon? Well, those that come more and we feel that especially from the, the Canadian market and also the United States, it's a client that travels across the country that loves visiting different areas and different regions that stays longer periods we always say that it's much better for us also in terms of sustainability uh, that treasures our gastronomy our authenticity that looks for the local things the authenticity of our handcrafts of our music of our history um, I would say that's the new trend of customer uh, a customer that enjoys that wants to stay uh, longer periods in the country um, and more, most important for us, I think it's, of course, it's vital for the visibility and the sustainability of the country. But we always say that more than just attracting a customer, we want to attract someone that recognizes our value. We have something to say to the world. We need to travel better. That's definitely. We need to have more sustainable activities. We need to travel in a way that we protect the environment and respect the society where we go. So... What we are attracting is uh, people that can, that is concerned about that. Uh, so that's our goal right now. It's not attracting someone to come uh, visit and never think about Portugal anymore. It's attract someone that thinks about Portugal and that recognizes that Portugal has something um, wherever you are, uh, whatever you do and whoever you love. So this is the kind of destination we're promoting right now. And just as it compares to all of Europe, what would you say to the American traveler out there and travel agents that um, you have to offer that separates you from other countries in Europe? Well, I would say, well, that's a, that's a very difficult question. Um, I would say uh, we're not really worried of what 
makes a difference. We're worried of how we work and what we do. And uh, what we do is treating everyone uh, as a friend. In fact, we have a very strong purpose, welcoming everyone and respecting the differences. That's what we do in Portugal as a tourism office, uh, as an enterprise, as a restaurant, as a hotel. That's our motto of life in, in Portugal. I think that's the most important thing because if you do that, if you treat someone as someone from your family or someone that is related to you, then things will go very smoothly. In fact, as uh, we've, we've just launched, uh, launched a campaign in the United States that says close to us. Um, and uh, the, the motto of the campaign was when you treasure something, you keep it close. We like keeping our friends close. So I, th I think the Canadians feel that when they come to Portugal also. Yeah, Americans too. And I, I got to say, yeah, it's really the people that, that separate it. And I've only been here for 24 hours and I can tell that immediately. And that was from my bartender last night, Diogo. Shout out to him. He was a great guy. Very helpful for all of us. The Super Bowl was last night for a lot of Americans. Bartenders are yes. always a very nice yes. connection. Yes. Yeah, always, always <laughs> good people for sure. So just as we close here, the last thing, what would be your uh, message or advice to uh, the fellow travel advisors out there listening who weren't able to make this special invite only? Well, I would say that uh, we will have this uh, kind of events uh, with more frequently, that's for sure, because we understand this is the only way to feel and, tr and try the real Portugal. Um, and uh, definitely, uh, it's, it's a good option. And, and it's a good... I, I wouldn't say it's a good product, um, it's a good lifestyle it's uh, a wonderful place to be and uh, we like to say that uh, even if it's just for one day one week one month one year Portugal is a good place to be so thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it being in and uh, thank, you so thank you for having us thank you here with Nuno Fazenda here in Portugal and he is the Secretary of State of Portugal's tourism here thank you so much for having us here in your beautiful country it's a pleasure thank you so much for being here and the, the and welcome to Portugal to Porto which is a great city to visit and to stay yes everyone should definitely put Porto in Portugal on your radar here so just can you tell us a little bit about how Portugal's tourism recovery has gone now that we enter 2023 and, and any expectations you have for this year um, Portugal has recovered um, from the, from the pandemic. Uh, we had in 2019 an historic results, but this year in 2022 we have already reached a new record. We have increased in 15 percent the the tourism revenues, um, comparing with 2019, and so it's a very important activity for our uh, country, and we are growing uh, tourism in all the regions. And uh, the U.S. market it's very important for us because uh, in fact it's already the the fourth market in terms of guests in all the country it's the fourth position and in some regions like uh, Alentejo or Azores it's the second uh, market and in Lisboa is already the first market in terms of, of guests so tourism is recovering it's recovering uh, and we are reaching new records in terms of uh, revenues and we are growing with um, with with an increase in Europe and also with a great increase uh, of the U U.S. market. 
Love that. It's great. It's great for the industry. And can you just elaborate a little bit more on some of the initiatives you were talking about earlier for tourism in Portugal, that the new stuff that you guys are promoting out there? Yeah, we are. We have a strategy that focuses in uh, in five strategic priorities. We have uh, one focus is uh, the support enterprises in order to give more uh, competitiveness to them. Uh, on the other hand, the territory we still have the concern to provide sustainability in all other, in all the approaches that we have to. To requalify patrimony, uh, to preserve our patrimony. On the other hand, human resources. We still have work to do work, and we are working to provide um, tourism training. Then promotion in terms of notoriety, and also to do workshops like this one to invite tour operators, travel um, specialists, and also travel agents uh, in order to know much know better our country. So, on this workshop that we are doing here in Porto it's very important because we are inviting um, tour operators and travel agents from US and Canada to show uh, how is great Portugal to visit in order to sell our country with more knowledge and and, the, and with more experience about the destination. On the other hand, and uh, the climate change, the transition in terms of climate change and also the, the, the digital transition, it's also a concern that we have in our strategy. So we are working in these five areas in order to uh, to lead the tourism of the future. And the tourism of the future is a tourism with sustainability, with more territorial cohesion and with more uh, with more concern about inclusion as well and just to, to finish to say that um, our concern is also to have tourism in all the country not only in the coast so we are also developing a strategy to develop the tourism in the interior of Portugal uh, in order to have tourism all over the country Great. Yes, travel advisors are the lifeblood of the industry, and I think it's so important that we're all here gathering together in person, and they're immersing themselves in the destination and learning more. So can, I'm curious, you know, I, I did a little informal poll before I came out here, uh, my first time to Portugal, and I asked some family, some friends, some industry peers, what's the first thing you think of of Portugal? And a lot of the feedback I got was, you know, Lisbon was the capital, and wine, of course. So beyond that, could you just expand to our listeners and viewers out there, what should they know beyond that? What, what are some other regions that you think sh they should uh, put on their radar? So uh, here in the north, you are in, in Porto, it's a water attached site. In the interior, in the north, you, you, you should visit uh, the Alto Douro, the Douro wine region, which is the oldest wine region in the world, where is produced the port wine, uh, and is a, a great place to, to visit. Um, but also you can uh, visit in the in the in Alentejo. Actually, the second uh, major market in Alentejo it's US. So you can visit also Alentejo, which is a, a great place in terms of wine and landscape. And uh, and then we have also the center of Portugal, where you have the historic villages, uh, which are with authenticity, with um, with history. Uh, so it's it's also a great place to visit. So besides Lisboa and Porto, you can visit also our interior of Portugal. And we have also good beaches in Algarve, which is one of the the, the best destinations in terms of uh, sun and sea and golf as well. So, so Algarve is also a great place to visit. Yeah, we were learning some of the uh, about the destination there, and the golf really jumped out at me. So I, I got to come back and play play some golf here in Portugal for sure. So just last question as we wrap up here, um, what is your message to the travel advisor community out there for the U.S. travel advisor that may have not been able to come to this because it was a special invite only? So what would you like to say to our travel advisor listeners out there? Uh, I would like to say that, uh, and uh, and and you are here, so you are a, a good uh, um, testament of of what you saw here in in Portugal. 
that Portugal is a great destination, is a safe country, a stable, uh, stable country, uh, uh, with uh, great gastronomy, with great wines, and with hospitality of the people, and um, great landscape. So it's a must-see destination. You should visit Portugal because it's a must-see destination with uh, a diversity in terms of tourism supply, with the patrimony. It's a country with more than 900 years of history. So it's a uh, it's a destination that you, you should not miss. You can't skip Portugal. That's the message. Definitely. Come to Portugal, you will not be disappointed. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you guys again for tuning in and listening. would love for you to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to John for jumping on and providing some insights and colorful commentary and his great accents as well. Thank you to Luis and Nuno as well for their time for the interviews. And thank you guys for listening. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is the email. You can reach out. Let me know what your thoughts are on Portugal. If you've ever been, I'd love to hear. Also, the hotline number is 201-381-3017. Give us a shout. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.